everybody. Welcome back to the Mainland Podcast. It is, uh, what is this, Dave? This is episode, like, 93, 93 I think. yeah. Uh, 93. I am uh, Michael Citro, along with David Rowe from themainland.com. We uh, appreciate you tuning in to our little weekly podcast here, and it's it's uh, Independence Day week. Uh, you, got a, you got some Will Smith uh, queued up to watch this week? Absolutely. That's a entirely what i got to work a little bit on independence day but after that i'm absolutely because i want to see the bill pullman speech because it's it it just gives you chills every time (laughs) uh dave since we last spoke orlando city went on the road and won a game away from orlando city stadium yes they did which was fantastic i agree uh the team did not play great but i mean anytime you go to a difficult place to play like rio tinto stadium uh, in Salt Lake City, or actually Sandy, Utah, uh, a place that is at a high elevation. Um, you know, Oisuka has a raucous crowd, very knowledgeable soccer crowd, um, and you can get any points, uh, let alone all three. It's a good day, and Orlando City gets uh, win number two on the road this season, which sounds like not very many until you look at the league uh, standings and you see that only three teams have more than two road wins all year. Uh, and Toronto FC is one of those. Uh, we play them this week. They have only three road wins all year. So it, it's not an easy, we, you know, we, we harp on how hard it is to win an MLS. And people think, oh, a broken record. Oh, you're just making excuses. But no, it really is hard. It's like it, it's something like 18 percent uh, of the games are road wins or something like that. Or 18 percent of road games are, are wins for the road team or something ridiculously low like that. It's not a common occurrence. So Orlando city goes out there, gets uh, just the one goal from Will Johnson, but uh, former RSL man comes back to haunt his own team, his old team, I should say. And it um, gets the, uh, the lions, a big road win. It was a, a kind of a, one of those games where Orlando city didn't really connect well in the front. Uh, they spent a lot of time defending, uh, which makes it even more impressive that they were able to, to get the shutout. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, just uh I know a lot of people were very concerned the last time that uh, Jose Aja started a game uh, was the I think it was the Montreal game where he got he just had a a nightmare of a game. But man, what a comeback for Jose Aja, who was uh, just a man among boys and, and darn near opened his Orlando City account. But he did help create the goal. Yeah. And. Like you said, that that Montreal game where he was just abysmal, uh, this game was the exact polar opposite of that. I mean, he was uh, he was everywhere. If if you go back and you watch, even if you just go back and watch the condensed thing, highlight after highlight of of him clearing the ball, stopping, you know, stopping a shot. He, He was seemingly everywhere, even though, of course, he was mostly just in the defense. Although he did, like you said, he did have that one that unfortunately, uh, I believe hit the woodwork and, uh, you know, God, how many, how many balls have hit the woodwork this year? It seems like we talk about it every other week. Um, too many, too many, but like you said, um, you know, he was involved in the attack and, um, you know, good for Johnson getting the, uh, the goal at his at his old uh, his old haunting grounds, and uh, you know you could tell from the look on his face after after he scored that goal, you know how much that meant. Um, plus, you know only his second of the year, so uh, and then of course you know Will played pretty good, you know doing his his regular steady, you know uh, being a leader on the field, you know doing most things right. I mean he wasn't perfect, but um, 
he was the, it was the kind of thing where other than the goal, you didn't necessarily notice him, and that was one of those good things like you always say about uh, Nocherino. Um, he just quietly did his job, and he did it effectively. So um, really happy for, for Will. Um, the the down part for me uh, was um, was Kaká. looked – I don't know if – if it was the altitude or all the travel or what, but he um, he, he wasn't on his game, and uh, you could you could tell when he was uh, taken out that uh, he was not happy with uh, probably either being taken out and uh, his performance. Yeah, I didn't think that I thought that a couple of guys in particular had pretty poor games. For me, uh, Kaká was one. The other one uh, that really stood out and I think was even worse was Christian Nagita who is yeah. next to Kaká on the field. So when, you know, you have no one you can link up with and the guy is not getting the ball to you, uh, it's a it makes for a very frustrating night, obviously. And uh, I thought Christian Higuita, the, these three road games for him, uh, the young Colombian has had better days. He's uh, He's been uh, just a turnover machine the last few games, and it's, it's really becoming a problem. If he doesn't get that turned around, uh, really soon, and he won't be playing Wednesday because of the uh, the yellow cards he's picked up in the last two games. Um, if he doesn't get turned around soon, he's going to lose his starting spot because it's not going to be long before Jason Christ just decides to give it to to Luis Gill or to uh, Servando Carrasco and, and say, Christian, you're not uh, you're not good enough right now uh, to be mm-hmm. making the starting eleven. And of course, the uh, the window is opening up in just a week, Dave. So uh, with yep. the, with the with the transfer window opening uh, and, and then a very big need at midfield for a guy who can play the diamond. And if Christian has shown that he can't play in the diamond, um, you know, that's, that's going to be, that's going to be uh, maybe a problem uh, that uh, is resolved by him moving to another team and, and either on loan or, or maybe just to transfer out. Uh, and that, that certainly could happen. And, and his stock I think has gone down in the, in the last few weeks. And uh, it's, it's tough to see because he's a, you know, he's a guy who works hard. He's a, he's a guy who certainly has some skills that were even on display at RSL, even though he didn't have a good game. He still is a good, uh, you know, taker of the ball. I mean, he, he mm-hmm. can he can uh, tackle. He can, you know, he can stop, you know, attacks, and, and he's good at that. But he just continues to do these little things wrong, like leave the ball in his feet too long, let defenders get, you know, or, you know, the other team get too close and let that press close him down too quickly. And mm-hmm. uh, and he just makes some passes that make you think, did he just not see the guy five yards in front of him? <laughs> you know, I mean, did he think the guy would maybe just let that ball go by him? I mean, he, it's been hard to watch. The other guy I thought that didn't have a great game was Giles Barnes. Um, one thing that we kind of uh, yada yada over was that Kyle Laren returned also for this game uh, yeah, from his uh, his uh, DUI uh, and his uh, you know going through the uh, substance abuse and behavioral health program from MLS and he uh, cleared that program was uh, was cleared to play and he went out and I thought that Laren brought really good energy to the team. I think he got into some dangerous positions. He wasn't really given good service throughout the evening, but he dropped back he stayed involved and uh, i think he was able to be a little bit of a pressure valve uh to relieve some of the some of the rsl attack uh by sending the ball up to him uh, several times throughout the game absolutely and we talked about in last week that uh you know we thought he was going to go out and um you know he was going to try really hard whether he had a good game or not you know he he was going to put in the effort and we and we saw that um like you said i don't you know 
when when you're up top like that and if if the ball is not getting you know fed in well for a striker sometimes it can be tough to to do anything mm-hmm. um other than come back help out and uh and he did that and like you said he um he had a i, I thought he had a great attitude he hustled uh all night so um you know i'm sure <laughs> i'm sure that he would have liked to have, have gotten that goal but you know what? Um, uh, Orlando City gets the win. I'm sure he will take it, and I, I think it'll it'll keep him motivated. You know, going forward, that you know, I think he's really going to want to score. Um, you know, in the next game, and and that that might having that fire under his rear end can can only help. Yeah, Dave. What do you think? Uh, man of the match uh, for Orlando City at RSL. You know. Um, I would love to give it to, to Johnson because of, you know, getting the goal at his old place. But I've got to go with uh, Jose Aja because um, just how well he played and, and you know, being – the amount – I think he had eight clearances or something. I mean, he just – he was on top of the ball defensively all night and was a big reason why uh, Orlando City got out of there with all three points. So, for me, it was Aja. Yep, the big Uruguayan for me as well. I thought that Jose did a, a fantastic job on defense. Uh, he obviously got onto the end of that free kick that uh, rattled off the bar. And as as Jonathan Spector was uh, was getting the hell fouled out of him uh, yeah. in the, right on the goal line, Will Johnson uh, cleaned up the mess that was left in the box and scored the goal. So he kind of helped create the goal. He was uh, very instrumental in, in breaking up many attacks and uh, keeping uh, those crosses out of the middle and, and keeping them from finding their intended targets. So I, I think AHA is a great selection. I, I thought it was a good game for the back line, all four. Um, I don't think that Sutter and Toya did a good job in, in the offensive part of it, but I also think that Toya was a little bit handcuffed by playing behind uh, two guys having a bad night in, in Aguita yeah. and Kaká, so that that didn't help at all. But uh, I thought, you know, yes, uh, Toya got uh, rounded once once or twice, but I think for the most part he did a really nice job in the second half as he yeah. uh, as he um, you know started to figure out Brooks Lennon a little bit and kept him from being more dangerous as the game wore on. He he actually you know, got into a rhythm and was able to force him wide and, and, and to not even concede corners on several of those attempts. He was really good at just deflecting the ball back off of Lennon out for goal kick. So a uh, good job. I thought by Toya overall, I thought he started a little bit soft, but he got better as the game went on. I thought Sutter did a pretty good job on his side as well. You know, not a perfect night. They have some really uh, quick dynamic attackers that can make you look bad. Uh, but luckily they were never really able to pre- provide a, a final service because uh, the center backs really did a fantastic job. And I, and I also thought that the, that, uh, you know, the, the midfield did a good job coming back and helping out as well. So, um, you know, good, good night defensively. And sometimes those are just the kind of ways you need to win on the road. Just, you know, just go out and get an ugly win. The, the home team uh, is coming out flying. They'd won three in a row at home. Uh, they got their own crowd going. They got the altitude. They know they're going to wear you down over time. Uh, so they want to come out fast and press you and make you run all night uh, to get that advantage late. And, and I thought that the guys did a good job of standing up to that. Absolutely. And we we haven't, you know, we've only tied with RSL previous to that. So, you know, getting that getting that win, especially on the road, um, and, you know, we talked about 10 minutes ago, I mean, how important, it, you know, how hard it is to get a, uh, a win on the road. So to, to be able to do that, um, 
and and have it be a one nothing uh, in a hostile environment, uh, and then just defend, defend, defend. Um, that was, uh, I think it was an important win. I think it, it's going to help team mentality. Um, and then, you know, Laren, you know, being able to get back and, and get his legs back under him, um, you know, when he goes to someplace with a little bit more oxygen, maybe it'll be even better. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it goes from there. But I think it's something they can build on and and uh, hopefully uh, we'll see a more determined Kaká and uh, hopefully the return of uh, Carlos Rivas since he's back in training now. So, uh, you know, uh, we'll see what happens Wednesday against Toronto. We'll talk a little bit about that uh, later on in the show. Uh, one thing that happened uh, before the RSL game, but it happened after we spoke last week and recorded this podcast, uh, was the departure of Matias Perez Garcia. Uh, mm-hmm. He was uh, out of contract at the end of June. The team did try to re-sign him, um, but the two sides were too far apart to come to an agreement. And, uh, you know, rather than go through the charade of having a guy play when he, you know, he's going to be gone and, you know, as soon as the game ends um, and, and the clock strikes midnight, uh, you know, it's it was a, just a case of where they decided to waive him and let him get started on finding a new place to play. So MPG is gone. Uh, your thoughts on that, Dave? Um, well, the fact that he's gone, um, you know, he was, he was hit or miss for us. I mean, there were some games where, uh, he, he was really good. There were other games where he just disappeared. I'm glad he was able to get the goal before he left. Um, you know, just, just for your sake. Um, (laughs) and then, you know, uh, if this, this, it's professional sports, this happens. Um, you know, you have players who have contracts, negotiations happen, Sometimes they don't come to terms and, you know, players go to different teams. We see this in every sport. Uh, MLS is no different um, just because, you know, he was a guy that um, Jason Christ brought in doesn't mean that, um, you know, it was going to work out, um, which, you know, I think that they would have liked to have given him the chance. Obviously, he was, you know, looking for more money or they were looking for less or, you know, we don't know the details of that. But um, regardless, he's gone. Now, what? the implications are for that is what does that do for the upcoming transfer window? So I think that's probably the more interesting thing, you know, uh, whatever money they would have there, we now got for something else. Obviously we're, you know, you just mentioned it. We're going to be looking for needs in the midfield. And, um, so for me, it's, you know, I'm sorry to see him go because he, I think he played hard when he was here. Um, and, you know, wish him the best of luck, you know, wherever he, wherever he ends up. But uh, I'm I'm now just chomping at the bit, curious to see what happens during the transfer window and, and you know, what uh, what moves Orlando City makes. Yeah, I was excited when uh, the trade was made because I always kind of liked uh, MPG as a player. He was a guy that I didn't see San Jose play much, but when I did see them, he seemed to, to stick out to me as a guy who would win win the ball he was hard to get the ball away from and and i thought he brought some of that to orlando city but he did have uh, periods of time where he disappeared and was you know there were there were games where he was uh the guy with the fewest amount of touches in the midfield and and you know you look at a guy like that and he's got to get on the ball Mm -hmm. so there were 
you know, this was a guy who, because MLS is a salary cap league, you can't have guys making as much money as he was on the bench. And he wasn't a first 11 choice for uh, Jason Christ. So it makes sense that probably the club came in and said, hey, would you, we'd like to keep you, but uh, I don't know under the salary structure if we can uh, keep you at what we had yet. So, you know, your production says you might be worth this. Can you, you know, can you live with that? And and uh, he probably wanted a raise because, you know, who in life doesn't want to raise, you know, every year? Yeah. You know, cost of living goes up. You want to make a little bit more money. So um, probably it started there. It probably started with him wanting more money and the club being completely opposite, wanting to give him less. And mm. I don't think it was a respect thing. I think it was just a practical look at the balance sheet and saying, we have a bench player here making, uh, you know, Mm-hmm. you know right on the cusp of dp money so we can't have this and um you know that's just what it is and i mean we could we could talk about the dp situation in orlando all day because it just yeah. other than uh, and this year maybe we're not seeing what we want to see out of kaka currently he started off very brightly this season uh once he returned from the injury but i don't think that these slots have been used how our how the current structure of MLS needs them to be used. The current structure of MLS says your DP should be youngish guys who are, are good at scoring. Uh, Alessandrini and, you know, Nikolic, guys like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lodero, guys that can either produce goals by scoring them themselves or set other guys up for goals. Uh, and that's not what, what Orlando city has in their DP situation right now. So, um, you know, M- MPG making on the cusp of DP money, it didn't make any sense. So I would rather see the team try to use those, you know, use those funds a little bit more wisely. And so I'm, I'm happy they didn't cave in and uh, and give give him a big raise just to keep him and just to keep the fans happy that like him because, you know, he the production is just wasn't there. Like I said, he's never going to score a goal for Orlando City. And if you if you believe that that ball that Kaká centered to him was over the end line, then really he didn't score for Orlando City. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I will miss him. I, I thought he was fun to watch, but uh, I'm not going to lose any sleep over losing MPG. You know, uh, he'll, he'll just be part of the rich tapestry that is mm-hmm. the history of Orlando City. So... Uh, peace out, MPG. I uh, hope you bounce back and, and, and land somewhere somewhere really good. I mean, at his age, you're not gonna you you, you know you know what you've got. You're not. It's not gonna get any better. It's uh, right. It's just that. That's just the way it is. So we'll see what happens during the the window. Um, Lando Pride played two games uh, since we last spoke, Dave. They went out to Sky Blue, a, a, a team they had never beaten, and they uh, the, the script was being followed. They scored first again. Uh, gave up the lead again, and uh, it looked like Sky Blue was going to do it again. Like, you know, just another gut punch because uh, they were awarded not one, Dave, but two penalty kicks in the first half. And, yeah, uh, one of those was – one know, of those I, I could see. The other one uh. – Aubrey Bledsoe stopped the first one, uh, and the second one just uh, not able to stop, although she did – get the get the direction properly you mm-hmm. know properly uh, figured out she knew where kelly o'hara was going to go with the ball just a really well-struck ball she just had a little too much power and a yeah. perfect placement if she had her fingers a couple inches longer maybe she gets to that but uh so uh sky blue gets a huge lift in basically the last kick of the first half to to tie up the game and then come out and score on a bicycle kick in the first minute of the second half and it's like oh here we go again another sky blue win two one that that just would figure because they've already done that uh but no it was not to be because uh the pride came back with two goals uh marta scored one and uh, and then the rookie rachel hill gets up and gets her first 
NWSL goal on a header and uh, and get the game winner late in the uh, late in the contest. So Orlando Pride came home with all three points from you know a very good Sky Blue team that's uh, currently above the line. Well, the 77th minute, Cali uh, uh, put that cross in. It, it it took a pride deflection to Marta, who was just it, it could it was almost like somebody was up you know using the force to direct the ball to her. Um, and and when she's got it at her feet in the box with you know hardly anybody around her, well, you know she's going to score. So yeah. I mean, I, I, the word that came to my mind was she just calmly put the ball in. I mean, it was just like oh here's the ball, let me put it in the net. She one-timed um, it, uh, struck yep. it well, right inside the post. No chance for the keeper on that one, and uh, you, you know, just the kind of goal you expect her to score. And then on the on Hill's header, uh, which I think we should call that from now on, uh, Marta actually did a nice little uh, uh, back heel uh, flick to Catley, who you know uh, put another cross in, and, and Hill got her head on it, and you know to to get out of there with with three points, which was uh, I, I watched that game and. Um, Man, I, I was sitting there thinking the same thing you were. I was just like, okay, here we go again. But then um, they got the they got the one in the 77th, and then they got that last one, and I was I'm jumping up and down in my living room, you know, just going, wow, this is fantastic. Yeah, it was it was terrific to see that that back heel from Marta was very slick, and yeah. uh, Cali Cali put in a nice cross, and Hill went up over two defenders to get that, including Christy Pierce, who if you don't know that name. Uh, maybe you know her as Christy Rampone from the uh, U.S. Women's National Team. Many, many years, one of the best center backs in uh, international women's soccer. So, um, you know, great job by by Hill. She's going to definitely remember that goal forever. And and, uh, and the fact that it was a game winner makes it even sweeter. So uh, road win for the Pride, their second straight road victory. Then they came home to play Chicago over the weekend on the doubleheader. Game got off to a late start because of the bad weather. Um, don't know if that affected things, but certainly the Pride uh, didn't seem to have their, their usual energy. Uh, they rotated the squad a bit, so Camilla didn't start. Uh, we saw some new faces in the lineup, and uh, you know it was a pretty evenly matched game, although I thought the Pride played pretty decent soccer. They just didn't look real sharp in the final third. Uh, which you would expect playing the th- third game in eight days or whatever mm-hmm. it was. And, uh, and of course, uh, Chicago was coming in across the country from Seattle, so they had also traveled. But the thing about the Chicago Red Stars is they have a back line that is just unbelievable, Dave, in front of a you know world-class goalkeeper, Alyssa Nair. And it, it's so hard to break them down because they're not only organized, they're very, very quick. So you think, oh, I got to step on this person. I've got, I, you know, I'll turn the corner, but then they close that distance and take the ball away from you because they're also very physical. So they can come in, get the ball, shoulder you up, and knock you down, take the ball cleanly. And over the course of a game, that wears you down. And uh, it's very hard to score on the Red Stars. I think uh, I'm not looking at the standings right now, but I think they're either the low, fewest goals against or second fewest goals against in the league. Yeah. And uh, they. You know, they had a couple of chances, but, uh, you know, they needed a penalty kick to win the game. And that was Kristen Press kick, taking that penalty kick, not just any old schmo. No. Uh, so she uh, she scores the goal and they win the game. It wasn't for lack of trying. The, the pride hit the post a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Uh, Allie Krieger hit the crossbar late. Um, just uh, not not the pride's day. Uh, but we did get to see Alex Morgan. 
That's true. Alex was back. And, uh, you know, it's not surprising, like you said, with Chicago's back line. Um, uh, that's actually three one nil losses. Uh, uh, the pride have to Chicago at this point. Yep. But, um, um, you know, I, there was a lot of rotation of the lineup, as you said, you know, so even though Alex is back, well, once she hasn't been playing with these uh, these players for you know quite a while, so she's got to find her feet again uh, in MLS. Plus, coming off of injury, um, and then you know you you couple that with uh, however many games you know three games in however many days. Um, so they're tired. You've got a different squad out there. Alex is back, and then you know to only lose on a PK. Uh, and unfortunately this time, you know, Bledsoe guessed the wrong direction, you know, whereas in the last game she guessed the right direction twice, you know, um, although she did almost make up for it on the, on the corner on the other end, uh, when she, she went all the way down on the field and almost was able to, to, to try and get that ball in, um, which, you know, good for her for hustling down there and, and, and giving that a shot coming in behind everybody and, and seeing mm-hmm. if they could do something. Uh, it didn't work out, unfortunately, but, um, you know, well, it was cleared right off the line. I mean, uh, yeah. it found, it found, you know, the cross came in Bledsoe. It would have been, it would have been the ultimate, uh, it would have been the ultimate podcast bump yes. for Aubrey Bledsoe, uh, for the goalkeeper to score. She, she got a header on frame. It was cleared off the line. Uh, just, again, that was just one of those, unlucky things for the pride they just couldn't couldn't quite uh overcome those these little things one and one cleared off the line it was cleared to Allie Krieger who one timed it in smacked the crossbar again <laughs> completely had nair beat just couldn't beat the woodwork and uh you know there were it was just what can you do at that point you throw up your hands and go it's just not our day uh I was a little surprised maybe um that we saw Alex when I saw what the weather was doing because I didn't know that, that if Tom would would risk her first game back in that kind of you know that kind of slop but the the field really held up well and uh alex got out there and got uh used to her new teammates a little bit although i think that you know certainly she'll have better days it's, it's very hard to come in and affect a game uh late off the bench like that so um but she she you know she was able to track down some balls and um you know get get some things set up in the corner, give off to Marta. I, I thought that uh, down the stretch when the team really needed Marta, they, they definitely took too many direct over the top balls. I, I thought they were like, they were just hoping that Alex could get onto something and they were forgetting that, you know, they got a goal machine in the, in the mm-hmm. midfield that can either score them or create them. So I, I think that that's probably something that Sermani will address. It's like, okay, Alex is back. That's no reason to just chuck <laughs> it, you know, but uh, you know, it, Chicago and, and, uh, and North Carolina courage are the two teams that to me are the class of the league. Yeah. And you know, it, let's face it the pride deserved at least a point for that game they didn't get it but they they def- definitely played well enough that i'm not bothered that they no. you know they've lost two in a row at home and haven't scored in those games but i'm not bothered by losing to chicago the way i was against houston and i'm not bothered by losing to houston the way they played uh the last couple of games since uh, firing randy waldrum they uh, they went on the road this weekend and beat uh, a stubborn FC Kansas City team mm-hmm. on the road. So, uh, you know, since Waldrum was fired and Carly Lloyd got back, two things that happened basically at the same time, uh, Houston Dash are no longer the pushovers they were earlier in the season. So uh, good to have Alex back. I still feel good about where this team is. They have to go uh, on the road again. Uh, but I, I, I think um, I, I still say that they're set up 
as bad as that first couple of months of the schedule was, uh, I think that they're set up in a good position. They get to go to Washington. The Spirit have not been good this year. So hopefully they go out and make it three in a row and set a new team record uh, with uh, consecutive road wins uh, with three if they go out there and do that on Saturday. Well, they'll have a little bit more rest, and Alex will have a little more time to, to you know, get that connection with the teammates. So, you know, I, I, mm-hmm. I, I agree. I think it'll be better going forward, um, you know, First game back, and, and like we said, that just seemed to be one of those games where nothing's going to go your way. You just chalk it up to that, and you move on. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, Laura Alloway was let go today, Dave, by uh, the Pride. Uh, she was one of the first international signings by the team. Center back, uh, Australian international. She was uh, thought to be you know, one of the key pieces brought in last year. Uh, but last year, she and... and um, you know, whoever was next to her, it was Monica, it was Tony Presley. They struggled and, and they gave up way too many opportunities on balls over the top. And she she doesn't have a lot of pace. And, and it was a problem that and that teams exploited. And this year uh, she came out, played a couple of games and did not play well again. And she went to the bench and uh, Allie Krieger was moved inside mm-hmm. uh, to play. And Tony Presley was brought uh, back into the starting lineup. Uh, after really a transformative uh, offseason by her, uh, both in the workout room and with uh, her, her changing in diet. And she's really, uh, really come a long way. I think, I think Tony Presley's been a real strength of the team this year, even though she uh, she gave up the penalty on uh, on Saturday night. I think uh, that was a, just a case of being tired and um, and maybe not realizing that uh, as long as she keeps Casey Short a little bit wide, she's probably okay because Casey Short's not probably going to score from that angle. Right. Uh, but, uh, you know, it was a little tired mistake, and tired minds uh, make tired bodies do things they shouldn't do. And, uh, you know, it, it'll be – it's a little bit sad to see Laura Alloway go, but it's not a surprise. I mean, she's, she's a player that probably commands a, a decent salary for the women's side. She uh, takes up an international slot, so – uh, this will give uh, Tom Sermani some flexibility to bring in uh, some more talent and, and try to get this team up to the level of the Chicago's and the North Carolinas. Yeah. And, you know, we wish wish her luck, you know, going forward wherever she ends up. Um, but you're right. It's kind of going back to the same thing we're saying about MPG. You can't have that kind of salary on the bench. Um, and it's it's not a uh, personal thing. It's a business thing. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, they call it professional soccer for a reason. Um, you know, you have to make uh, professional business decisions based on what's good for the the team and the organization. And I think that's all this was. Um, and uh, you're right that uh, hopefully that will free up, um, you know, some flexibility for Shimani and um, we'll get uh, we'll get another piece back in there to help out with Tony and, and Ali and uh, or, you know, maybe we bring somebody, you know, in that's already here and, and we, we plug a need elsewhere. But um, it, it will. Uh, um, I, I, I agree. I don't think it's a surprise. We wish her luck. Um, but I, I, at the end of the day, I think it was it was just a business decision. Yeah, the NWSL, the those international slots are so valuable. You have to hit home runs with those. Those have to be starters. Those international slots have to go to starters. Yeah. So uh, you can't have an international slot languishing on the bench if you don't plan on using her in, in case, unless there's an emergency and you have no choice. Because I mean, even even Tom's second choice center backs right now have been playing midfield for him the last few games. Uh, you know, with with Alana Kennedy playing, uh, moving up to a, a defensive midfield mm-hmm. spot, uh, and 
and Monica can play center back in a in a pinch as well. So uh, not really a, a surprise, but we will we will miss Laura because we like the Aussies. Yeah. And um, uh, so uh, Pride, uh, as I mentioned, they go to the Spirit this week, uh, and uh, we'll hopefully get that third straight road win. OCB, uh, they hosted maybe one of the hottest teams in the USL uh, in the second game, the nightcap of the doubleheader on Saturday. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of people, because of the, the rain and the weather and uh, the long uh, afternoon, did not hang around to watch uh, a pretty entertaining game between OCB and FC Cincinnati. Uh, and that game ended in a 1-1 draw. Uh, speaking of the podcast bump, Jordan Schweitzer gets his first goal with OCB to open the scoring early. Um uh, Cincinnati was uh, very dangerous on the counter all night. They got a goal back uh, from GB Fall and um, and tied it up. But uh, I thought overall a, a really nice game uh, from Earl Edwards Jr. and uh, and and from the you know for the most part I think the defense played really well. I think that if you ask me who did not play well, well Albert Dequa didn't look real great up top at striker. Uh, but I wonder how much of that was just Cincinnati's. Uh, you know, veteran leadership on defense. Well, and speaking of Dequa, I mean, he had that shot in the 68th minute that it was saved. Um, look, when I was looking at it, it, it that that could have easily been a foul that uh, that you know isn't called, and maybe that makes a difference because um, he was being taken down from behind as he was trying oh, yeah, to head yeah. the ball. I mean, it, so I, uh, you know, I I think that was a, a pretty badly missed call that might have made uh, could have made the difference there because i mean you know both goals were scored in the first you know 17 minutes of the game uh and then uh it was a lot of defense um at least for ocb side um jordan's goal in the third minute uh it was it was a beautiful curling shot over two defenders um uh so kudos to him and congratulations uh you know we're glad we could help you out with the podcast bump um like you said edwards played um edward played an excellent game again um it's 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 odd we have such great consistency from uh from all of our goalies uh no matter which team you're talking about so that's 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 a, a blessing that it should not be overlooked um i thought that the uh it was interesting in the 86 minute when uh uh, Pierre Silva gets a, uh, a yellow and then they change the mind and go straight to a red. Um, and I, I watched the replays on that. Um, I think he was, I think it probably deserved a yellow. He was pushing a little too much. I think the reason that he got the red was when he came around and if you watch it in slow motion, somehow his cleats got onto the thigh, uh, of the Cincinnati player. And I think that that was what elevated it to a red, um, yeah, he grabbed the player from behind, which right. was, I think, just a tired foul, and it was, uh, it was definitely, you know, yellow card worthy. You pull a guy back, you're going to get a yellow card. I don't right. think he intended to 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 cleat him or anything. I, I don't think that was intentional. I don't. But either. the the AR certainly thought it was because the AR basically talked the the ref into into giving that red. Exactly, and I I, I disagree. I mean, I agree that it was absolutely a yellow. I mean, when I saw it, I'm like, okay, he's going to get carded for that. And then when they went to the red, I was glad I was able to go back and look to see what they saw that they potentially thought. I agree. I don't think it was intentional. I don't think it deserved a red. And of course, that's going to, you know, he's going to have to sit now. That's going to hurt because, you know, we talked about how, how, you know, the people are, are, uh, you know, game planning for them. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, that hurts, but, um, 
you know, all in all, I mean, to, to go up against uh, FC Cincinnati, as you said, one of the hottest teams in uh, USL right now, and to come out with a 1-1 tie, I, I think uh, overall the team played a really good game, um, and in particular, um, you know, Edwards had a, had a fantastic game. Yeah, and kudos to Cincinnati for traveling well. I think in the USL, you, you're not used to seeing that. But it was about 100, 150 uh, Cincinnati fans made the trip down uh, for the game to sit in the rain and, uh, <laughs> and get to see that game. But it was, it was an interesting game. The uh, you know OCB lost both meetings with Cincinnati last year. This year they played three times. And so far, a win on the road and a draw at home. So, you know, if those results were reversed, you'd go, hey, that's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so I think it's good anyway, because I think Cincinnati has a lot of quality. I think you saw it uh, in the midweek against uh, the Chicago uh, Fire. And, um, you know, they have a lot of guys who are, are, are MLS tested. They've played some MLS games and, and a lot of experience. And just you can just tell. When these, uh, you know, 26-year-olds are going shoulder to shoulder with the 19 to 22-year-olds, uh, you can tell which one's going to win the ball before they even get there. Yeah. Uh, just because of the the frame has already been filled out on some of these older guys. So, uh, you know, they've been in these weight training programs for several years, whereas some of these kids are just, you know, just in their first or second year uh, of, of doing this professional gig and and you know they haven't quite gotten their bodies there yet so uh you know i think it's a decent result for anthony pulis's guys and uh, i'm sure they'll take the point move on and and uh, try to improve upon that in their next outing uh which will be saturday when they host the pittsburgh river hounds so uh we've got uh, quite a bit going on here to talk about next week uh even though we're going to head into an international window speaking of international windows former orlando city player dom dwyer plays his first game with the uh, U.S. men's national team, scores his first goal with the U.S. men's national team, and uh, basically helps lead uh, the U.S. to a 2-1 win in an international friendly over Ghana. It was, uh, you know, it was a good game for the U.S., a good tune-up, a little bit of a revenge since Ghana's gotten the best of them over the over the years for the most part. And um, uh, some of these new guys look really good, Dave. I mean, Kellen Acosta scores yep. on just an unbelievable free kick. And, uh, you know, really, really nice game uh, from Dom uh, all around until, you know, they, they subbed him off uh, late in the second half. But I thought he was dangerous the whole time he was on the pitch. Yeah, you you know, you couldn't help but watch um, everything he was doing. You know, he, he got that, that first goal for the U.S. Um, and well-deserved for him. Uh, you, you always love it when they get their first goal in their debut. Um, and then, but yeah, he looked, he looked dangerous all night that he was in there. Um, it was a, um, it, w- it was an excellent showing from him. Um, of course, Kuzan uh, made that save on that, on the PK, uh, which uh, kept, uh, well, honestly, I mean, given, given the end of the, the, the score line, that was a, uh, that was a big save. Um, and then um, Acosta, you're right. That shot was, was absolutely good gorgeous and so i you know knowing that you know i mean we didn't have some of the big names out there in that one given that it was friendly at ghana you know kind of a a tune-up game and and an opportunity for bruce to to see some some other guys and you know including guys like dom which i think dom did a uh, a great job of advertising himself to 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 bruce during that game um i think that uh that that was everything that you can ask for in a result uh and a friendly um you know, getting to see those younger guys, uh, getting the, getting the win. Um, but, uh, you know, more so going forward, just, 
having seen you know some of the the options that you're going to have uh, as we move forward in the competition. Tremendous save late in the game too uh, to deny Bedoya of a goal, which uh, yeah. I'm still not sure how the goalkeeper got over to make that, but it was a it, it was a nearly a three one final, but two one, uh, good uh, good tune up for the Gold Cup, and we'll get that action underway uh, coming up uh, this weekend as well. Uh, the U.S. against Panama uh, in, on Saturday afternoon. Uh, about an hour after the Pride kickoff uh, against the Spirit. So we're going to do the two-screen thing again on Saturday uh, on the 8th. So uh, that's a lot of ground to cover. A lot of games, a lot of stuff going on, a lot of happenings, uh, people leaving the team, people returning. You know, we had Laren and Morgan back. We had Alloway and MPG out. We had, you know, four games to discuss. Uh, but let's get to our guest because uh, we got an, uh, an interesting uh, take this week. Uh, a little bit different than our normal guests, so uh, let's get to that right after this. All right, joining us this week on the Mainland Podcast, very happy to have with us uh, television and radio broadcaster, you know him as the voice of Orlando City SC, uh, our own Jeff Radcliffe. How you doing? Fellas, how are you? Mike Day, good to hear from you, and uh, I, I really appreciate the call. Uh, usually, usually, I think that means that you've exhausted your regular list of guests, so uh, I do appreciate being uh, at least on the end. Thank you. I, I will cop I will cop to this, Jeff. It was my fault that we didn't have you on about a year ago at the, this time. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I remember asking you, and you said yes, and then I don't know what happened. I think I, think, uh, I just had a senior moment and um, forgot that I had asked you, and then I got no, no. There's far more important people than me. I, 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 I'm kind of like the, uh, the last resort, and that's fine by me. <laughs> uh, no, there are there are other resorts that are. That are <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we, we won't we won't go into that. Yeah. Um, so Jeff, I, I want to start out by you know asking you, um, you know, just how you think this this whole because uh, you've been with the the club for quite a while. How do you think now that we're three years into this MLS thing, how do you think things are going uh, for the Lions? And, and did you think it would take this long, uh, you know, for Orlando to still kind of be struggling to find a playoff spot? Honestly, um, I thought, and, I, and I, I, my history at the club goes back to 2011, um, although I've never really been a full-time employee of the club. I've always been contracted to do the games. Uh, and then obviously, you know, once being with MLS, then that changed a little bit and got a little bit more involved. But um, I thought once we got in, cause, because of things like the, the results in the Open Cup, I'm like, look, if we can, uh, you know, this club can win uh, with, with, with players, you know, that the players that they were winning with at USL level and beating MLS teams. Uh, I thought, ah, like most fans, we're, we're going to own this league. Well, it, 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 as I've learned, and now covering MLS for this the third season, that it's not that easy. It's not that simple. And uh, um, it would it would have been nice. I think I think the first year was a success. I mean, I, I know that there were, the five expectations is is the club's motto, but uh, I still define that as, as a success. We were the second most uh, impressive uh, uh, expansion team in the history of the league, um, and, and you know a couple of. You know what we had? What eleven or twelve red cards that season? Um, yeah. I mean, we, we were that close, and then again last year you had a coaching change. So I mean, to be that close on the precipice two years in a row with with so many things that had uh, you know the change was the only constant last year. Um, no, I'm not surprised. I, I think this is the year you have to do it. And I think you know going back to the Adrian Heath days, Adrian thought it was going to take three years. He thought 
three, the th- year, year three was the year that they would be pushing for a playoff spot. That's where he really legitimately felt all these young players, the Higitas, the Rivas's of, of the world, but the, that's when they were going to mature. And, uh, and, and look at them now. So, um, uh, yeah, I, I, I would say I would expect it maybe of last year, but no, I think this is the year, and, and I would stand by that. Well, uh, like you said, uh, coaching change last year, uh, you know, tripping things up maybe a little bit. Um, obviously, uh, we've uh, had Jason uh, all off season and all this year. Um, what changes are you seeing in um, in the approach? Uh, that Orlando C is taking, and what is it that makes you think? Is it just the player development, or is it something else, or a combination of things that makes you think that this is going to be the year? I think uh, Jason does bring his um, brought uh, a, level, a level of professionalism. Uh, not that Adrian didn't, but uh, things. You, know, you have a conversation with Anthony Pulis after you know the coaching change last year, and he was blown away at the preparation. And the organization that, that uh, uh, Jason Christ brought, and, and that's the way Ant is. So he has loved it. You know, he it, it was a, it was a good change for him, and uh, he, he he thinks. And again, it's a long run. It's a long process. You got to get your own players to fit a system. You know, the, the the diamond was talked about the minute when he was hired. Still, we don't have the players to be able to run that kind of system if that's what he wants to do. Are there things he's probably still learning on the job, learning about Orlando, learning about this organization? Yes. But you look at just the improvement defensively this year and seeing out results, uh, especially early in the season, that first two months where they were winning one-goal games, those are games that Orlando City was not winning in 2015 and 2016. So that improvement alone, I think, gets you above the line. And, you know, I think any fan, anybody watching, you want to see a better quality soccer, maybe better possession, a little bit more uh, proactive uh, type of approach. But, you know, getting results, I think this RSL game that we just saw is, is a perfect example of uh, pulling something out of nothing. I mean, there's other ways to say that exact phrase. But, um, <laughs> you know, I think because of those reasons, they've learned how to be an MLS club. It's going back to like the old Tom Kinnear Houston teams, um, being very pragmatic, trying to get a result when you can, when you're not on your best. And they've been able to do that. And you're, look, you're still above the line and, uh, and way above and, and comfortably. So, um, you know, I think you just stay there. Do I think they're one of the best teams in the East? Eh, not yet. Uh, is it possible? Maybe with a couple of uh, uh, moves in the transfer window, that, that's certainly a possibility. But right now, I do think they're one of the top, you know, four or five teams in the East, and that's where they're at. You know, Jeff, I want to ask you a little bit about, you know, what you do for a living and for the club. Uh, our own Austin David has done some broadcasting uh and, and and has actually done some for the club as well. There's a trend yeah. in uh, in sports that it, it's starting to become a little bit more prevalent uh, as as leagues and networks try to save money. But it's something that's always been around in soccer, I think, since uh, you know f- for a good long time. And that is calling a game when you're not on site. What are the difficulties that that presents for yeah. you, and 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 how do you deal with that that challenge? Yeah, it, it's it's not the easiest. It's not the most optimal situation when it comes to calling a game. And Austin, is, I'm sure, is aware of it. Um, uh, it's just with MLS and the way the TV ratings are structured, or TV ratings actually happen, they structure broadcast. A lot of the league does the same thing we do, where we broadcast um, our away uh, our away games that are local televised from a studio. It, it's I would say maybe five or six teams don't do that and actually send their crews on the road, maybe seven or eight 
somewhere in that five to eight range. Um, and any you talk to any play-by-play person, any commentator, you know, calling off a monitor, um, it's difficult because you're not seeing the whole field. Um, the worst is you know you don't see the, the the near flag sometimes when it comes to the the assistant referee. But the biggest thing is you lose the atmosphere. You know, you don't have the crowd noise that you really um, get fired up for because you know that energy that I have is built off hearing the wall and hearing the crowd support that actually gets me jazzed up. And I think that really adds to, um, you know, adds to a call. And I think there was no, I mean, a perfect example is this, uh, this was the women's world cup a few years, a few years back. And a number of the Fox commentators were actually calling games from off of a monitor. Uh, whether that be in LA or New York or Miami, I'm not even sure, but these are really regular season broadcasters at ESPN and Fox use all the time, like Glenn Davis, Mm-hmm. I, I, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. It didn't sound right. It was like there was no energy in the call, and these guys normally do very, very well with that. Come to find out they're on a monitor, and it sucks. When you're in a little studio calling a game, it sucks the life out of a broadcast. So it's very difficult, but it's it's the reality of things. They do, um, you know, in, in our in our case, we bump in the crowd noise. We have a, what they call a dirty audio feed that comes into the studio at Channel, uh, channel 9 when we're doing this at 27. And so we have that audio from on site in our ears and also in the studio. So that helps uh, quite a bit, but it's not the same. There's nothing like being at Orlando city stadium and before that, the Citrus Bowl to do a game live. And, and, and I've done, we've done monitor games in 2014. Tom and I did all the games at Disney from the ESPN production studio, which was behind, you know, a couple buildings over. So we were never on site for those. And that, those were really difficult because the camera angles were way off. So, uh, it, it's it's just a fact of life. But being sport has been doing international games from studios in Miami for years, you know, or at least a decade. So it, it's the way the way things work. Um, and you know, I think MLS just uh, it's just kind of taking the taking the same approach. I mean, you'll you'll see a lot of La Liga games, you'll see Serie A games called you know English language are called back here in the states. So uh, it, it's it's a, it's a cost issue. It does cost a lot to rent a truck. Um, and, and have the, the full crew and to rent satellite time. Whereas, you know, I just went on this trip with, with Tom Traxler out to RSL. Well, that's a radio game. Um, you, you pay $300 for an audio engineer, you pay for a flight in a hotel, and you can get the broadcast on. It's not so simple with TV. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you mentioned the, the difference that, uh, you know, being in there, the atmosphere contributes to your being able to, to call the game better. Um, I'm curious of, of your thoughts, uh, your professional thoughts on the difference between, you know, going from the Citrus Bowl to uh, Orlando City Stadium and, and what a difference that's making, not just for obviously the team and the fans, but for, for you and what you do. Yeah, I'm closer to the field. Uh, I mean, maybe yeah, I'm maybe a little lower, but because of the steepness of the, uh, the actual seats, closer to the action, you can see a little bit better. You know, it's, it, you know, sometimes when, players are on that far side because you know you kind of get caught you don't want to call off a monitor sometimes you do check to see what 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 uh if you're in tv and radio are two totally separate animals but what, you know, when it comes to television you know you'll misidentify a player if they're far away sometimes because a lot of the hair looks the same what have you and i think I, I had that same issue in the montreal game i misidentified their first goal because i saw a guy streaking by i thought that was the guy and called it so um uh, the Citrus Bowl was definitely a little bit more difficult, um, and it, certainly the environment wasn't quite the same, but it was still excellent, especially on those big crowds where we had the 35-plus. So um, I, I, I would say it, it's definitely got 
the environment is better now because of it's our place. Um, but no, that, that, having that environment and that energy has never been an issue. But uh, yeah, I do prefer the new stadium, and I, and I it definitely what I hate is Yankee Stadium. Calling a game from the baseball <laughs> press box, which is perfect. If I was calling a baseball game, I would be right behind home plate. But that thing, and, and Tom and I call it Caddy Wumpus. It's offset, not just going away from you, but it's also offset. So you really you can't see balls down the line, and if it's in that far corner, you're guessing on who who's over there. If yeah. you don't have a monitor. Uh, yeah. So Jeff. Um, you know, one of the things that, that you've done over the last several years here is that you've you've called MLS, NWSL, OCB games in the USL. How do you keep all of those players straight in your head <laughs> over the course of, of several different leagues? Because, it, you know, it's it's difficult enough to, to learn every, you know, all the players in one league, but learning them in three is, is, is uh, quite a challenge. Yeah, I think at least this year the benefit is I'm just I'm just speaking to MLS is that I've covered the league now for you know this is the being the third year, uh, and so I know a lot of the key players for a lot of the teams because I've seen them I've called the game already with them and then you just got to adjust your your roster a little bit uh, maybe move a formation around and and, and it's doing other teams uh, has become a lot easier. Orlando is never a problem whether that's OCB or. Uh, or you know, or pride. Now this year I'm not doing pride because Lifetime mm-hmm. took that contract. Uh, I was initially going to, and, and then they moved me to OCB to, to fulfill my contract obligations. I have so many games I have to do in addition to MLS. So uh, that that was originally the plan that I was doing pride, but and Lifetime got the contract, so they not only do their games of the week, but they actually produce all the games. So they have their own talent to do that. Uh, which eh, saddened me a little bit because I wanted to be a little, uh, part of the pride, but at the same time I'm still getting to. Uh, go to the stadium every day and, and see OCB, which actually helps me more with the first team because I get to see, uh, you know, last year, Tony Rocha and Mikey Ambrose. I saw them a lot more than some of the other guys, you know, that uh, would, would call a game. They wouldn't know who they are. Um, now, you know, I can explain a perfect example. I'm talking with Dan Kelly when we were training. Uh, he's Chicago Fires play-by-play man, and he was calling the game uh, at RSL, and he didn't know who Richie Loreo was. He didn't know who Haji Berry was because, you know, he didn't see them play. He didn't know how they played because he didn't, you know, they have very, very little time at the MLS level. Well, I've seen him for a season at, at, at OCB. So I can fill him in a little bit about, you know, what type of players they are, what type of, what type of guys they are, and how do they fit into the whole grand scheme of things. Yeah, do you fill out like a big um... – uh, like a, a like put the numbers real big like I when I did hockey because I did some hockey yeah. stuff back in the day uh, you know, like I filled out the, all the lines and and who was playing with who and that kind of thing and it, do you do that before the game and have a big cheat sheet? Yes, and, and, and I, I, having done hockey, I can tell you that is the hardest sport to do. So kudos to you. <laughs> <laughs> that that game moves fast. Um, yes, I have a spotting board no matter what sport I do. I still do baseball, basketball, football, but uh, you know any off season. Um, yes, I, and I have I have a format, and I I switch, and I can even send you guys a, a copy to share with the readers. That's fine. But um, it, it, spotting boards are very personal to each to each announcer. I know, uh, you know, Evan who's been doing some of the the radio games when I'm on TV. He's you know he's comes from the broadcasting school, you know, the best broadcasting school in the country in Syracuse, and he had a. A, a, a certain spotting board that was passed down through the generations of all the great broadcasters at Syracuse. So he uses that, you know, and, and then you tweak things like what my board looked like in USL. Uh, there are similarities, but now 
for, for quick recall, the whole point of having a board is that to be able to see the name, the number, but also if I need some bio information real quick, I can refer to it. It's all about quick recall. So you tweak it. You know, I put so many, um, I usually have uh, the last five games, the next five games coming up, what the results were on the, the games they just played. You got the heights, the weights, where the players are from, uh, coaching background, the coaches' uh, background, the history of the club, when they were founded. I mean, any little bit of information that I need to recall quickly. And a lot of that stuff I have committed to memory over the years. But, uh, um, yeah, it, it is, it's every, I mean, some guys, you know, I'll look at, uh, Keith Costigan from uh, you know, who does uh, you know games at, at Seattle. Um, mm-hmm. He just has stickers. He takes peels off like little Avery stickers and puts them on a on a Manila envelope, and it's just got the, the very basic of information and everything else. He just recalls from his memory, from his chats or from his notes or whatever, and he has just little clues in there to cue him in on those things. So everybody has you know a different way of doing things, and what works for me works for me. So. Uh, it's funny the way you're describing that. Um, I sell cars, and every every year, of course, they they update the the packages and which one has this and which one has that, and then the colors and everything. And um, you know, I've got to commit that as much as I can to to memory. But then, like you also have, you know, cheat sheets and resources. I, I, it was really funny that uh, that that's the case. And and then it got me thinking that, um, you know, as new players come in or as, you know, guys move up from OCB to MLS, um, you're shifting, you know, you've got to make that adjustment on who, who's where and, and, and what you're referring to yeah. while, yeah, while keeping in memory, you know, what they've done and how long they've been there. And, and, uh, um, so the, the minor little bit of type thing that I do, uh, in my job, pales in comparison given that you've also got to then call the plays <laughs> as it's happening i don't have to do that in my job so um yeah. so i just you know i mucho respect um given <laughs> to me it's, it beats work control and that's what i always uh, right exactly so but given that um I'm, if, i was thinking about this earlier you were talking about how you know you knew some of the guys coming up um who is it you're seeing as you're doing um ocb that um you would project to, you know, in the next year or two that uh, you think is going to be making the leap up to MLS? Well, we've already seen it this year. They moved them up so quick. Uh, I mean, Pereira, Leo Pereira, jumped out the first time I saw him, and he was playing at left back. Um, and, of course, Pedro, you know, uh, or, you know, Silva has been uh, for two years now. And, you know, if he can control his temper, he got sent off the other night late in the game. But uh, his you talk to opposing coaches in USL and they game plan for him. He, he is, uh, I can't remember what coach it might've been the coach at, uh, Rochester. That was, you know, they, he legitimately was scared. So, uh, with his uh, talent and ability, I'm thinking of the, the roster as it's constructed now, but I mean, they're, you know, Earl Edwards. I mean, I think this is a guy that's waited his turn and has been tremendous this year. So, um, I would say Earl Edwards, and technically he's a, an Orlando City player anyway. Um, you know, I'm just trying to think of, of the USL players that are in here this year that have, have really signed. Um, I mean, there's, there's just so many. Um, let me get back to you on that one. Let me, yeah, let me, no worries. I have to go back, have to go back <laughs> to my notes and stuff, and uh, later in the conversation, I'll, I'll maybe, I'm sure it will come to me. But basically the guys that you've already seen come up are the ones that really – uh, you turned your head right off of that, and turned my analyst head too. Like, wow, that that that, that player is really really good. So, 
Um, you know, another resource is Lewis Neal because I can ask him, hey, who's been, who's been standing out because you're playing with him. And he, he could hear a really a great, uh, a great scouting report really on anybody on that team. All right, Jeff, before we let you get out of here, I'm going to do a quick little lightning round with you. I'm going to throw some quick questions at you and just give me, uh, you know, the top of your head first answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so I'll uh, start out by asking you, what's harder, doing a studio show or play-by-play? Uh, uh, studio show. Uh, what's more fun, studio show or play-by-play? Play-by-play. Uh, your favorite player you've covered for Orlando City? Ooh, um, say. All right. Uh, best Orlando City moment. Ooh, I like the one. Um, there, there's two ways to answer this. What is the most, you know, the, the most memorable moment, and what was, the, you know, the, you know, the favorite moment. The most memorable moment moment was the the, the Pulse game against San Jose. I mean, that's something I'll never forget. Being a part of that and watching the city, you know, respond to that tragedy, and you know, I. I there was a lot of pressure, I think, on that one to, to live up uh, and, and do a good job and, and to, to, to respect those lives that were lost and do it right. Um, but, you know, there, look, the, the, the two wins against the reigning champs always will stand out for me. The, the, the game against L.A. the first year, the 4-0 win, and then the, the 4-1 against Portland last year. And, and, the, and the first game ever, I mean, it, you can't, you can't the, 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 the Qatar free kicks, Late in the game, um, and then really the season opener the last two seasons, uh, uh, the first two seasons, a YRSL game will always stand out. There's a bunch of them, um, but yeah, the six one and the lightning rounds. I would have to, I would have to say it's, it's a tie between those two against the defending champs. All right, and uh, the last one, uh, the most fun player to watch on the current Orlando City team. Uh, Carlos Rivas when he's on, <laughs> and says you never know what you're doing. He's like a boxer. He's like the, the Boris Gump. You never know what you're going to get. You may get uh, a ball uh, into orbit, or you, you may get this uh, amazing run down the left side that and uh, a perfect cross to Laren, or, or maybe just a goal himself where he puts the ball through the net. So uh, yeah, I think he's to be the most exciting and the most frustrating player at the same time. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, well, Jeff Radcliffe, thanks so much uh, for being with us. Uh, we really appreciate you joining us on the podcast. We will certainly love to have you come back uh, again sometime. Uh, television and radio broadcaster Jeff Radcliffe, the voice of Orlando City and OCB, uh, thanks for being with us. Hey, no problem. I well, love your work, guys. Keep it up. Thanks. All right, well, episode number 93 of the Mainland Podcast winding down now. Uh, but before we get out of here, Dave, we've still got to talk about the uh, Orlando City-Toronto FC game. Uh, as this drops on Wednesday, that'll be tonight. Uh, yes. So, uh, it, you know, looking forward to that rematch because the first game really was a game I thought Orlando should have won. Uh, but uh, we had Kyle Aaron miss a couple sitters, which almost never happens. And uh, hopefully he gets those same two chances uh, tonight uh, against uh, the Reds. But before we get to that, we do have our Ask the Mainland podcast segment. Uh, light light uh, week for us this week, as you'd expect on a holiday week. Uh, but Ian F. asks on Twitter, uh, wants to see, he says, uh, seems a little quiet 
on the signing front, especially after the increasing rumor of Quintero, who's in store, uh, referring to Juan Quintero, the Colombian uh, who's been rumored to be coming to Orlando City. Uh, who's in store? That is a great question because it seems like every time we think we know who's coming to Orlando City, that somehow doesn't happen. And then someone else comes in that we weren't even expecting and then does a great job. I mean, uh, remember Gregory Sertich? Uh, was a, a guy that we had our eyes on, and it was a big rumor, and there were, you know, there was an offer apparently made, and and uh, we didn't hear anything uh, for a couple of days. It kind of cooled a little bit, then all of a sudden we got Jonathan Spector, uh, and nobody saw the Scott Sutter thing coming. So uh, that's a great question. If if Quintero happens, uh, I really hope the numbers that are being thrown out there in the rumor mill are way off base because. Uh, we're talking about Chicharito level numbers in terms of uh, right. price tag. And I don't think that he's a, a guy that you want to spend that kind of money on. I think you can get two or three other guys for that cost and, and, and really, really improve your team. So I'm hoping that the, the money numbers are off. Now, I don't really know a much as much about Quintero as, uh, as some people do. Uh, a lot of people seem very excited by him, but, um, you know, it's it's hard to say whether or not he's the answer uh, that we need or not. Certainly you want to see uh, the team address the attacking midfield, and you still mm-hmm. want the team to address the striker position to provide some more quality depth there. You know, it's, uh, it's funny you mentioned Chicharito because I was like, oh, why aren't we talking about him? Because it seems like we always talk about him every time transfer rumors come up. But uh, <laughs> and I'm sure and I'm sure now that we've said that, that uh, it'll it'll be in an article, you know, this coming week. Um, so, yeah, I, I, like you, I'm not I, I'm not so sure that he is the answer. Um, and I, I, I don't think that that's how from what we've seen, that's not, obviously not how Jason works. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, he goes out, he, he doesn't necessarily hunt down big names. He's going to go get the guys he thinks he can plug in that are going to do the job that he wants them to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I don't think that you and I or anybody else is going to know who the heck that is until we find out. Um, so it's, that's why I, I said earlier, I'm, I'm, you know, after the whole MPG going, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this transfer window to see what the heck happens. Cause I have absolutely no idea. Um, and, you know, of course, then what Jason will do is he'll, he'll completely nullify everything I just said and, and we'll bring him in. So, <laughs> yeah. You know. Well, if you're going to bring in a $10 million player, I mean, uh, 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 bring in as a, as a striker who can work both with Laren and then be the main guy after Laren leaves. Like, mm-hmm. uh, you look at a guy like Nikolic, and obviously those guys don't grow on trees, but he's a striker who gets him, not only gets himself into good positions to score goals, and what has he got, 16 goals now? Uh, yeah. But he also is able to send other people into score goals, and that's something that we haven't seen really much of from Laren. I mean, uh, if you're going to bring in a second striker to maybe take uh, Rivas' spot in the lineup, uh, he's got to be a guy who can provide service because, mm-hmm. you know, that's not something that's in the, the Laren skill set. But, uh, you know, if you get a guy who can both score goals like Laren at that kind of rate or close to it, doesn't have to be quite that high, uh, and also set other guys up, then I think, um, you know, that's the type of guy that, that really should be targeting. Uh, Carlos Rivas, for me, uh, like Jeff said, you, you know, you're going to get just brilliance one game and you never know what you're getting the next game. And we really can't be spending DP money on a guy like that. I, I think that um, he's a guy who still has some ups. I still a fairly young dude, but, you know, if the team wants to win now, they got to go get a player that can help them win now. And I don't think Carlos Rivas necessarily is the guy 
to do that job. No, so it's uh, the possibilities are are endless as far as you know who stays, who goes. Um, you know, it's it'll be it'll be really interesting. Obviously, I, I don't think you know Laren's going anywhere. Certainly not Kaká, but you know, Rivas is a is a possibility. Do I think it's likely? I don't know that I think it's likely, but it's all going to depend on on which area that you know Jason wants to focus on. If he's going to focus more on the, um, you know the the midfield and 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 some of the defensive midfield, given you know Higita, then uh, who knows? Um, we do need to uh, up our attack, um, and so it's I don't know. I'm, I'm like I say, I'm I'm waiting with uh, great anticipation. So. Absolutely. We'll see what happens. But thanks, ENF, for the email or, or the, I'm sorry, for the question. If you want to ask us anything, doesn't have to be soccer related, uh, but it can be. You can uh, hit us up on Twitter. We're at the mainland and just give us hashtag ask TMLPC and uh, we will answer your questions on the air. So uh, do that or you can uh, email us uh, the mainland at Gmail dot com. Let us know your questions uh, that way. Uh, so you can get those into us. We'll be happy to answer them. Dave, before we get out of here, Orlando City hosts uh, a very, very dangerous team in Toronto FC. Uh, it's a good time to play Toronto in that uh, even though the U.S. didn't take uh, Bradley and Josie from the Reds uh, for this Gold Cup, uh, a lot of other guys are missing, including uh, two St. Ricketts. And uh, Raheem Edwards, I believe, is uh, missing for this as well. And uh, they just lost Stephen Betashore, who had a, a, a pancreas issue, I think, and had to have some abdominal surgery. So um, a little bit depleted uh, Toronto team. But uh, speaking then, but, uh, of Toronto, one of the deepest teams in MLS. So if there's a yeah. team that can deal with it, uh, deal with these kinds of issues, it's definitely Toronto. They're going to be really dangerous coming off a, a loss to uh, FC Dallas. Absolutely no shame in losing to FC Dallas. Uh, but they're going to have their their hackles up, and they're going to be uh, even more determined not to drop a second game in a row. So it's going to be very difficult for Orlando City to win that second game in a row uh, that they need because they haven't done that since the end of April. Uh, Dave, what's your key matchup, and how do you see this thing playing out as a final score? Okay, so uh, key matchup um – is going to have to be the defensive line um, against Toronto's attack. I mean, you've got Giovinco, you've got Altidore, you've got Bradley feeding, you know, from uh, the, you know, the midfield. I mean, they, like you said, they're very deep. They still have a lot of players. They're still very, very dangerous on the attack. Um, so I think how, how we can absorb that pressure uh, will be the determining factor in whether, um, you know, whether we get any points out of this or not. Um, I'm hating to do this. I always hate to do this, but I'm I'm thinking um, it's going to be two-one loss. Um, you know, Toronto's in second with 35 points. They're incredibly dangerous. Giovinco has come back, and he's you know he's found his form again. So um, I expect the Atomic Ant to get at least one on us. So I'm going to go two-one, unfortunately, and and just hope that I'm wrong. Yeah, I think that for me, obviously, the, the key matchup is going to also be, uh, I think it's going to be Tommy Redding stepping in for AHA after the, the short turnaround. Uh, not as short as normal because they played Friday night instead of Saturday night. Uh, and mm-hmm. then they, they chartered back right after the, the game. So hopefully that will save their legs a little bit. But I think you'll see Tommy start 
in place of Jose for this game. And I think because his mobility will help him against Giovinco. So I think it's Tommy versus Gio and, uh, and also to a lesser degree against, uh, against Josie, you know, and you're going to see your normal stuff from Spectre. But I think mm-hmm. how does Tommy hold up against those two guys? And he's done pretty well against them in the past uh, at times. So we'll, we'll see. That, to me, is a key matchup. Sort of a secondary key matchup is can they get at the, the, uh, the fullbacks? Because the fullbacks situation right now is not great for Toronto uh, with Morrow and Betashore out. So I think if you can get at their fullbacks, uh, their, their replacement guys, that's going to be a key to the attack. If, if Carlos Rivas can get unleashed against those those replacement guys, I think it, it could lead to to some good chances uh, as he sends crosses in for Laren. And uh, uh, I think that that's a, a good secondary key matchup to look for. Uh, my prediction, and I sent this uh, earlier to the, the uh, SB Nation Toronto FC blog, Waking the Red, is also 2-1. I just think the Reds have too much firepower and... Um, you know, Orlando City still, to me, doesn't look quite in form like they were earlier in the year. So it was good mm-hmm. to get that win. Uh, I hope I'm wrong. I hope we can get a result out of this going into the break and get a big boost. Uh, this is the time. If you're going to get a, a result against Toronto, it's it's a good time to do it now with when they got some guys missing. But they still have Victor Vasquez, and they still have Giovinco, and they still have Altador, they still have Bradley. Uh, still a lot to contend with. Uh, on that Toronto team. So I, I'm predicting 2-1. I think Laren gets back on the score sheet. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Uh, like I said earlier, I think he's he's really motivated, so I do think that that's where our goal comes from. As far as um, them, uh, I think actually I'm going to – I think Giovinco gets both of them. He could, but I think Josie Altador has scored just as many goals against us as Giovinco over the, the last uh, couple of years. So yeah. uh, Josie's always a pain in the neck uh, to deal with just with his combination of size and speed. And then, of course, he'll probably dive in the box and get a penalty uh, at some point. He's very, very dainty for a big man when it comes to the penalty area, I've noticed over the last couple of years. So Very, uh, very small ankles. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, there you have it. Uh, those are our key matchups, our predictions for Orlando City versus Toronto FC. Uh, we hope that uh, we get a gargantuan effort from the Lions and uh, hopefully maybe Kaká's best game of the season. And uh, we'll... We'll, uh, we'll look for Laren to, to get back on the score sheet, and maybe they can get something out of this game uh, going into the Gold Cup break, which isn't really terribly long, but um, you know they'll at least have a, a little bit of time to rest up, and they won't have to play three games in eight days uh, for at least a couple of weeks. So that'll do it for episode number 93 of the Mainland Podcast. Once again, want to thank Jeff Radcliffe, our guest, television and radio broadcaster for Orlando City and Orlando City B, and uh, obviously he does other sports as well. Thanks so much to Jeff for coming on. Uh, one thing uh, we can always say about Jeff is he's, uh, he's a true professional. Really enjoy uh, picking his brain at, uh, you know, mm-hmm. when I can make it out to training and talking to him and stuff and seeing what he sees because those guys get to watch a lot more of the practice than we do because uh, they're insiders. Um, so uh, thanks to Jeff. That was uh, that was great. We're definitely going to have him on again in the future. So uh, thank you, Mr. Radcliffe. Uh, if you uh, please, uh, you know, could uh, check us out on iTunes and maybe leave us uh, – a rating and uh, and, a, and a nice uh, review that'd be good that would help us reach more listeners we'd really be uh, grateful for that uh please read our stuff at the mainland.com sb nation's orlando city website uh you can uh, like us on facebook facebook.com slash the mainland 
And, uh, of course, uh, follow us on Twitter at The Mainland. So uh, those are all the outlets you can find us. Uh, we even have a YouTube page that we sometimes put videos on uh, <laughs> occasionally. Uh, but thank you uh, again. Uh, thanks to Jeff Radcliffe. And on behalf of David Rowe, uh, our writer, our correspondent, Tallah- Tallahassee correspondent, uh, I am Michael Citro, the managing editor and founder of The Mainland, signing off, as I always do, by saying, Go City! <laughs>